Welcome to the Tech Trends Podcast, where we discuss the latest manufacturing technology research and news. I am Benjamin Moses, the Director of Manufacturing Technology, and I'm here with... Stephen Lamarca, <laughs> AMT's Manufacturing Technology Analyst. Steve, welcome to another year in review. This has been an uh, interesting year. It has. It's, it's been a heck of a year. Heck of a year. This is our second year in review, so I'm really glad we've been doing the podcast for this long. Uh, and glad that no one has shut us down yet. So <laughs> we haven't been shut down no, by some shut. miracle. <laughs> uh, probably for, like we're gonna we're not gonna shut you down with everything else that's gone on in 2020. No, we're gonna keep <laughs> this thing going. Got to give but the people. I, you know, go ahead. I gotta say real quick before, like you know, a lot of people are looking back, or, or, or not looking back yet. They're, they're talking about 2020 as if it was like the worst year ever, and <laughs> arguably it may have been the sure. worst year. At least since 2016, you know, they've, there's been a steady decline in the quality of living in all of these years since 2016. But um, uh, at least social media would have you believe that. Um, but uh, I think with all the hardships that we've experienced in 2020, mm-hmm. you know, and a lot of negative has happened. I'm not trying to discount that in any way. Um, it's 2020 has been great in that we've really... Uh, not just as a company, not just as individuals, but as a civil civilization almost. Actually, nope, I'm going to backpedal on that one. <laughs> as a company and as individuals, okay. I think we've, at least the people that I know firsthand, um, have really gotten a lot stronger and, and we've made the best out of uh, a really, you know, terrible situation sure. uh, this year. Yeah, like, yeah. I agree. We've and we've seen a lot of bad things happen. Yeah. Uh, but, but now we're baptized by fire from it, (laughs) and uh, uh, I I think we know we're going to be better handling something like this, or you know maybe something not like this, but we're going to be better uh, at handling um, individually something terrible happening in the future. Because this was pretty bad. Sure. And I can't imagine anything else. I mean, I can imagine, but I realistically, I don't see anything much worse happening than what happened in 2020 moving forward. We're still going to be recovering from 2020 for at least, you know, the next six months, but um, uh, into 2021. But I, I, you know, there's a lot of positives to be taken away from all of the negatives we've experienced. Yeah, that's a really good way to look at it, Steve. I mean, yeah, we did. Each person did go, had a different set of challenges that they faced throughout the year. And, you know, as we go into next year, being able to take the positives and continue harness or uh, harnessing those positives um, into 2021 would be super awesome. Uh, so before we get into so technology, I want to, you know, hit on some uh, general observations uh, for this year. Uh, you know, just taking the situation around us and, you know, thinking about what 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 worked well what didn't work well one thing that uh, i don't want to hear anymore is the word unprecedented as give, give me a rant give me give me a good reason why <laughs> actually before you do because yeah. uh, i do want to hear a good rant i'll give you time to think <laughs> sure. i just want to i just want to say to 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 our listeners that you know back when we were in the office before the pandemic and before working from home um even when Jules was in our department mm-hmm. uh, and, and we would have our morning stand up on what we were working on, one of our sections for a good period of uh, the time working in the office, um, one of the parts of our morning stand up was 
what words or phrases do we not want to hear anymore <laughs> and why? And, and Jules had a great list of a few, yeah. uh, whether, you know, there was some, it, it just, there was things like, like uh, um, touch base was one of uh, the terms <laughs> that we didn't want to hear anymore. Cause it's of, just so overused and a lot of yeah, businessy, a lot like of business executive lingo. terms yeah. that people throw around to try to sound official. Yeah. And it's like, but, but, you know, we had a lot of reasons for those just trying to, you know, give our listeners a perspective and a background and, you know, what, what our rationale is when we think of, when we make a list of words, we don't want to hear anymore. So tell me, what is it about unprecedented <laughs> it, about this awful word that you don't want to hear anymore? It's kind of connected to some other things here that the marketing push to convey how important the situation is become became undervalued. I, I'm aware of the situation. I'm in the situation. I don't need these large corporations telling me how difficult the situation is over and over again. Cause it, I feel like they're um, in the beginning of the, the pandemic. Yes. I, I think people wanted the, uh, the corporations want us to, the, uh, everyone to know how difficult they're facing the current situation is, which yeah. is fine. But three months later, I'm aware of the situation. You've already told me 30 times, change your marketing plan. Stop using the same assets over and over again. That, that was my big yeah. thing is. Stop trying to level with me. I am an individual. I am a person. Yeah, you are exactly. a corporation. Yes. Corporations are not people. Yeah. And I said it, it, it didn't, <laughs> it, none of their, uh, uh, marketing changed over time. And that, that was the biggest takeaway for me is that the lack of adaptation as things progressed uh, from the messaging from these big, massive corporations were fairly irritating, but yeah. And you know who I've hear, been hearing it the most from what's that? Um, and I've said this before on the podcast, certainly this year, uh, uh, airliners. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, like, yeah. like, uh, united sure and american airlines shut up i don't want to hear from you i don't want to hear what what a struggling time you're having right dude you're a luxury <laughs> and in and, and a bad one at that yeah like it's a luxury experience that you certainly don't make it feel like a luxury experience it feels like a public bus <laughs> and and you expect me to feel bad for you no they, unprecedented yeah that, that's a good one ben <laughs> The next one I, I'm really I'm a big fan of these is staycations. That was a big term, yeah. you know, about ten years ago, and I, I want to bring it back. Staying right. at home for vacation and doing whatever you want for that entire week or a couple of days is amazing. Using your car, sitting, sleeping in your own bed. If you want to go out right. and eat, go out and eat. If you want to order food, you can get food. But having the ability to use everything that you already have, uh, you know, to be fair, not everyone has. Yeah, an amazing house that they enjoy. They want to go to somewhere, you know, stay in or a hotel. Enough paid time off. And I paid time off, sure. You know, um, but uh, no, I think I think you're absolutely right. I think um, this year has really been a huge push to uh, great for the publicity of the staycation. Yeah, because you know you would think that with a lot of people working from home, and and you know not being able to leave the house that much um you would the last thing you would want is a staycation during right. your paid time off right but no it's so much better yeah like at, at the beginning of this pandemic i could see that i the last thing i would want is probably a staycation right but now it's just like 
you know, I took two weeks off in the last quarter of this year so far and individual, not, not together, but two individual (laughs) separated weeks off. And they were some of the best vacations of my (laughs) career. And I did not leave the apartment. Yeah. They were fantastic. They were the most like rejuvenating and refreshing vacations. Just like, I don't have to answer it. And I still answered to a few people just because (laughs) it's like, you know, I, during a tough time, an unprecedented time that we're going through, um, I I did want to still be relevant to some really important tasks being done in our organization. But, you know, when I hung up the phone with those calls, I went back to doing whatever I wanted and there's nothing, nothing anybody can do about it. Yeah. This year was, I think, fairly unique in that if you did stay at home, you know, being responsible and answering or still supporting work was a challenge for some of us, but yeah. the, the idea of being able to shut everything down and just stare at the wall if you wanted to, or play games yeah. or just work just on your car, get away or... from responsibility. Yeah. Just run away from responsibility. Cause like, if you think about it, like, like this year, the, the, the vacation time that I've taken, like the staycations that I've been, right. If I had just like got up, you know, got out of bed, just to walk to the couch and sit down in front of the TV for God, I don't even want to know how many hours straight till Netflix. Ask um, you if you're still watching. <laughs> yeah. Till Netflix ask you if you're still watching. I'm glad I did that at a staycation. Right. If I had done that on like the Amalfi coast of Italy <laughs> on an actual vacation, like traveled vacation, right. like, what a waste of a trip. <laughs> you can only do that at home on a staycation. Right. Steve, my and, next, and, my next business idea. Yeah be a staycation planner you plan someone's staycations <laughs> nice i'm on it nice i gotta have the in-laws over to uh to clean the kitchen for you <laughs> find a way to guilt them into cleaning your house while you're at home doing nothing the next thing that i've uh seen uh for 20 what year are we 2020 is australia might take, try and take over the world i've seen yeah. a, a significant amount of articles uh related to artificial intelligence, Australian manufacturing, Australian manufacturing defense, where Australian defense industry is booming now. There's so many yeah. new technologies, so many, uh, you know, they want to make their own submarines. They're, they want, they're developing their, their military manufacturing. They're, they're not just manufacturing is blowing up, but they're military manufacturing. They're jumping both feet first into all military manufacturing. Yeah. I don't think it's anything to be frightened of. I mean, thank God no. they're an ally. For but, now. Uh, <laughs> for now. Until we, you know, until somebody does something to a kangaroo and they go John Wick on them. Uh, but you know, I, I, um, yeah, Australia. And, and, you know, when I was, when we were thinking about the year in review, um, when we were thinking about countries, I'm glad you mentioned Australia. Cause the first one that came to my mind, South Korea. Yeah. With their, 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 they are the empire. They are a world leader. I don't mean empire in the negative uh, Star Wars term. <laughs> I mean they are, they are the top. They are uh, when, when it comes to robotics and automation. Sure, sure. In terms of adoption, right? And now they're going for the research and development too. Mm-hmm. You know, it was crazy when it was it was cool when read that um, 
you know, Hyundai mm-hmm. is doing so much. Hyundai's starting their own robotics line, robotics and automation line. Like not, they're not just doing cars and other heavy machinery anymore. They're also going to get into robots. Right. And we saw this kind of, we saw a light version of this with Elon Musk and Tesla when no robotic supplier could get Tesla the robots that they needed. So mm-hmm. Tesla was like, we're going to buy a few startups and we're going to make our own robots. Sure. We're done relying on other people to make us robots when they're not delivering what exactly what we need for such a high price. That's another thing. It's going to drive down a price in automation. Yeah. Uh, but I digress. We'll get into that later. Um, <laughs> Hyundai not only is doing their own line of robots now right. uh, and robotic arms, industrial robot arms, but how about the banger that happened You know, a week or two ago? Hyundai straight up bought Boston Dynamics. Yeah. That's a big purchase. It's a big deal, man. <laughs> like, you know, say what you, you know, it, it could go any way. I, I don't know where it's going, but um, it's a big deal. That's a big deal. Yeah. Uh, the next one I want to talk about is kind of connected with marketing <laughs> and uh, overhype. So there's a video game called Cyberpunk 2077. Uh, I bought yeah. it. I was very interested in it. My buddy Scott and I were very interested in uh, playing this game. I still play video games. You not only bought it, but you took last (laughs) Thursday and Friday off just to play it. I took launch day of the video game off so I could play it at uh, (laughs) 9 in the morning, which was fantastic. I have have no regrets. You are living a young person's dream. Good for you. The the big thing here was, you know, supposedly this game has been in development for like seven years. You know, there are early images of videos of this long, long time ago. And there was a huge, huge marketing push about how revolutionary this game is, how immersive it'll be. And, you know, it'll just capture everyone's attention. And as we got closer to release, there were some really weird nuances that started getting released about it, about some of like how you can design the character and, uh, you know, the interactions of the you know, gender of oh, the character and things and, like that. And fully design the character. Yeah, fully design the character. So, you know... And, little, and gender. Yeah, little things like, like you that. you can go into all of that. <laughs> it started getting released, which is, you know, it gives you more uh, uh, confirmation that the game is going to be released. It's going to be interesting. There'll be a lot of intrigue around it, which is great. Yeah. Uh, There's a lot of delays, and some people yeah. complain about delays. Yeah. But I'm, you know, I, I, like before getting into PC gaming... I was a console gamer and specifically right. a PlayStation console game, a Sony console gamer. And as a Sony console gamer and, and any other, anybody, any other ones out there listening to this, we're used to delays. Right. Like, yes. like Gran Turismo, the latest installation of Gran Turismo uh, is always delayed. Always delayed. I think- and it's always, and it's always worth it. Yes. Yeah. So I'm used to delays. In fact, I welcome them. Yeah. For any, for anyone that's, been playing video games for these are big big titles they're called AAA titles where you know it's you know a hundred million dollars in development there's always a delay with these big games always it could be months it could be year uh whatever uh so this was delayed a few times uh so release day there started some reviews coming out just like the day before and the reviews were interesting so it was a mixed bag of hey this is a cool game versus i can't even play this game uh yeah and once the game was actually released, then we saw the size of the problem that this game was uh, developed under. So uh, there's three main consoles that are uh, the game is being played on. So you have PCs, you have uh, next-gen consoles, which would be like the PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X, and then previous-gen, right. which would be PlayStation 4s and Xbox Series S, I think. Right. Um, so on PCs, there was 
there's tons and tons of glitches on the game. You know, you've got uh, players oh, really? popping out of nowhere. It's it's it it does and disappearing you. too. And right? Disappearing too. Yeah. So there's a few glitches, but uh, anyone that's played AAA games realize. And if you look at like Bethesda and all these other how uh, development houses, they've got tons of glitches too. So the glitches aren't yeah too bad on the PlayStation on the on the PC. arguably. So if when you think about Bethesda, Bethesda's known for this is an open world game, right, by the way. Right. So this is an open world game. Open world games, as Ben is trying to say, are almost always glitchy, at the very least in the beginning, right. if not always a little glitchy. Right. Um, you, the, Bethesda has the Morrowind series, I believe it's called. No, the Elder Scrolls series. Right. You know, the latest one was Skyrim. The one before that was Oblivion. The one before that was Morrowind. That's showing my age. Um. <laughs> But uh, that's an open world series. Another open world game and game studio, Rockstar Studios, mm-hmm. with the Grand Theft Auto. Mm-hmm. Um, those have always been a little glitchy. Not, not. They've always been like you know the top tier of the open world games. Right. And then the only time we've ever seen an open world game not be glitchy, and I'm sure somebody's put more hours into it, which is would be you know tough to come across. Somebody that's put more hours into it than I have. Um, one open world game that was near perfect, if not perfect, out of the box mm-hmm. on release day um, for the Nintendo Switch, Legend of Zelda: Breath oh. of the Wild. Sure, there was nothing wrong with that. Right. They, right. they they destroyed that. Uh, the the industry right. by being like, yeah, this is our first time doing it, right. and we nailed it. And to be fair, we did it perfectly. You know, look behind the scenes. The open world games are probably the most complex games that yes. someone could develop. You have so many subsystems. You've got NPCs. You've got story-driven characters. You've got buildings. You, it's a mind-blowing how complex On top of the physics are. engine. Yeah, exactly. On top of the physics engine, and do you have a destructible environment? Right, right. So you know, PCs, there's some glitches. You know, People can complain that it's not running okay. I'm, I mean, I've got a pretty old computer, and it's running fine. I'm happy with it. Now, okay, the, good. The graphics, I, I would say, don't match what I initially dreamed of, but... It's, it's playable. I'm comfortable playing with it. Okay. As you scale down to the PlayStation 4, the PlayStation 4, it is literally unplayable. I've seen videos of yeah. it where n- things don't render. The f- it's missing the floors. The frame rate's down to like 12 frames yeah. per second. Yeah. Uh, um, and it's, it's, it's really interesting because you know the, the, those hardware are standardized. You, there's no variation from PlayStation to PlayStation right. on those. So it's fairly but, interesting that... You know, you've got this behemoth of a game that there's been so much. I can't imagine how much money they spend on marketing. They have yeah. like sides of an entire building painted with the cyberpunk logo and symbols, and to have such oh, a yeah. poorly. So where they are now, uh, they've been pulled from the Sony PlayStation Store. So yeah. Place Sony said your game is so bad that we won't allow anyone else to buy it. Uh, I think. And we're refunding people. They're refunding. And Sony people. never refunds people. No. Uh, I think Microsoft is pulling their store also. Uh, pulling a game from the store. Wow. Um, and there is rumors of a class action lawsuit that they materially misled the public on releasing the game. So there's a lot, a lot of drama around this game. And it's fortunate that it's not very good drama either. So there's, yeah. and you know, and in there's pl- a rift. There's a huge torn. rift. There, there, there's people that absolutely declare the game is unplayable. Right. And I think, Ben, you might be on that side. Am I right? At certain levels, I mean, I'm still. I was playing okay. it just before the podcast. <laughs> okay, well, that's good. Um, because wow, so you're like as they, close to the middle of the road as I've heard so far. Yeah, I, but I know that there's a rift that's torn the community apart. Yeah, people yeah. saying it's utterly 
unplayable and trash right. and then people who are love the game and are all about it and th these people probably were some of the people that wrote the bots to right. scalp the latest generation <laughs> of graphics cards to yeah. be able to play this game but when it comes to the whole playstation and the console fiasco in my opinion i don't think this game is a console game right i think it's a pc game sure and it should be played on a gaming pc that has the latest and greatest uh, uh hardware right. in it this is an edge game an right. edge this is the new uh and i was talking uh to a friend of mine um that i game with regularly um this game is the new crisis sure. i think because it's beautiful right. even on low graphic right. settings i think the it, the game is beautiful yeah the background um, for crisis it was a it was an okay game gameplay wise but it was such a hardware performance hog that people used it as a yeah. benchmark so they wanted to see what kind of frame rates you would get at the specific hardware and then compare notes so it became a, a kind of benchmarking tool uh, and yeah. i agree with you you know conceptually i think the cd project red was trying to make this as a mass market game where at a release, it's really a like high-end PC. This is like a beta game. game. Yeah. yeah. It's like a beta quality, beta yeah. testing quality game. And it was released at the tail end of 2020. And then, like, I have absolutely zero sympathy for, like, the, con the previous-gen console gamers. Like, people on PS4 who were, you know, complaining about it being utterly unplayable. Right. Which I'm sure it is. I, I, I'm not discrediting them. I'm 100% sure it is. Yeah. The PS4 was developed in 2013. <laughs> Seven years right. later, a game that is like just released and is absolutely an edge technology game. Right. Like it's like we were just explaining is the crisis of 2020. Yeah. Um, like, yeah, it's going to be utterly unplayable. Yeah. It, you can't compute that. Now, if you strip away the issues of the PlayStation 4, like if you just kept this as a next-gen console and PC, overall, yeah. the game's fine. The game is good. I wouldn't say it met all the marketing hype behind it because there's still a lot of flaws that, like uh, grand, like the previous open-world games that you mentioned, they solved mm -hmm. those problems through their iterations. These guys are opening up the same problems that have existed in open-world games for a really They've long time. They've got a lot of work to do. Yeah. They do. It's it's hands down. It's it's a beautiful game yep. when it works right, but it's in a beta stage. I'm going to keep playing it. It's a lot of fun for me. I I haven't played an open I, world. There's game nothing in such wrong a long with time. beta games are still fun. I play Tarkov. That is by no means a complete game. A Speak lot of people would say, argue that it's broken, <laughs> uh, but I love it. Yeah, and it's gorgeous. The next thing I wanted to mention is. Um, uh, since uh, obviously we've been, uh, everyone's been isolating and school school year started. Uh, I have a six year old and she started first grade this year. Uh, we bought a laptop for her over the summer in preparation for the school year. So my wife and I are like, I didn't get a laptop until I was in college. It's, you know, she's a, you know, this 40 pound six year old carrying a laptop around. Uh, but then she was issued a Chromebook, which is great because uh, the Chromebook and that age group is fantastic. Uh, but the big takeaway is my six-year-old will be more computer savvy than me, which I, I think I'm very, very computer savvy. She's definitely showing my right. wife a few things here and there on how to use the computer or showing her how to start up the computer. And You know, for church, she's on Zoom meetings. She, she can do 90% of getting into the Sabbath school by herself. Uh, so it's in a few years, she'll That's be awesome. showing me a few things, which which is great. But at the same time, being the resident IT expert in the house, I I feel like I may have to pass the mantle on soon. That's awesome. 
that's like that's a little scary but i think that's really that's really cool yeah you know i i i feel like for my family i got a my first computer pretty early because you know i got sent away to Mm -hmm. uh all male military boarding (laughs) school for high school yeah and i needed a computer for that so i got a my first computer in high school my sister got her first computer in college um but growing up, I wouldn't think that I got my first computer early, certainly not as early as Amelia, but two of my friends um, growing up uh, when we were in middle school, two of my friends, actually, my close friends, Alex and uh, Dalmau, uh-huh. um, that, that name, uh, he's uh, without trying to get into it too much. His mom is um, French. And his dad is Catalan, uh, and region of, now a region of Spain, but not speaking Spanish. Sure. You know, so one, his dad speaks Catalan okay. and his mom speaks French. The two of them do speak English barely, but okay. they do not speak each other's language, <laughs> which is a beautiful dynamic and how their relationship works. That's but it's fun. also it growing up and seeing them interact was so awesome. But anyway, he speaks both english he speaks all of them english french uh catalan he also speaks german too now i believe Mm. i wouldn't be surprised if he also speaks spanish now anyway smart kid and my friend alex also smart too these guys in middle school i remember you know hanging out with them going over their houses they were building their computers yeah in middle school i'm only now like watching (laughs) videos on youtube how like computers are built they did it before youtube was even a thing they did this on their own and that that blew my mind because like i i I could never be on that level and those are tough times those are times when all you got was an instruction book and a phone number if anything happened (laughs) oh my god yeah what if it didn't post (laughs) those are tough times uh the last thing i want to talk about for general observations for this year was Obviously, the vaccine still still in work. There's going to be uh, people still traveling, still walking around. Mass will still be a thing for the next couple of months. You know, after we get through this, there are a lot of Asian countries that still embrace the concept of a mask mm-hmm. for whatever reason. I hope the U.S. gets more accustomed to wearing a mask. I mean, when I when I'm traveling for work and just out and about, I feel like we should be wearing masks more often. <laughs> yeah, people yeah. are gross, man. I it's being stuck people on an airplane. People are really gross. <laughs> yeah. There's people who, you know, before the pandemic, there were people who don't cover their cough. Yeah, yeah. Now I feel like there's they're not going to make any rules on it because some people aren't going to follow rules or laws because they're going to see it as, you know, a means of trying to control. Right. But in terms of just like public decency, Uh if you're, it'd be nice to see people start to accept the concept of, Oh man, if if you have a slight cough or you know maybe have an early cold uh-huh. or wrapping up with a cold or strep throat and you want to go back to work, maybe wear a mask. Sure. Not yeah. even related to COVID or right. coronavirus. Like like moving forward, having come out of this pandemic, uh-huh. you know, everybody knows, you know, try to well, actually I haven't heard this one in a while, but you know, 
try not to touch your face as much. That's the tough. military actually pushes that one a lot. Don't Do touch your face. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Military's huge about like stop touching your face. Uh, military school, I remember we got yelled at a lot for that, as well as hands out of pockets. Yep. But I know the actual military, you know, they're strict with their like recruits and like stop touching your face. They drill sergeants yell that a lot uh, as I just touch my face. Uh, but, um, you know, washing your hands. I'm glad washing your hands and the relative readily of uh, the ready availability of hand sanitizer is all over the place now. As much as I hate san- hand sanitizer. Like if I see hand sanitizer out, I'm like, I'll be right back. I'm gonna go to the bathroom, wash my hands. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, hygiene. I feel like this has been a huge wake up in global, <laughs> a global hygiene problem. Right. And I'm not right. saying everybody's gross, but there's a lot of people that are gross, <laughs> and and you'd wish aren't in public. Yeah. But um, if you're gonna go out in public, it would be nice to see people more accustomed to. Okay, I'm just recovering from a cold. Maybe I'm not going to go out unless I'm wearing a mask. I don't right. want to get anybody else sick. Yeah. But you know, there's a lot of countries, and including ours, that you know we we think about ourselves. The so I want to transition to some economic uh, observations for this year. Um, you know, I uh, I host two committees. Uh, I'm the liaison for two committees. One is the automation and manufacturing. The other is the technology issues committee. And mm-hmm. uh, we've had a couple of meetings this year, and we've been talking about the economic impact. Um, to their companies um, and early in the the pandemic a lot of uh, our members uh, have talked about hey just getting to the factory has been a problem just like everyone else right making sure that the work environment uh, is uh, sufficiently safe enough that they can still make machines still get design engineering done still uh, satisfy the com- customer needs but then as we transitioned out of that and people were a little more comfortable with um purchasing equipment, being uh, having installations. Um, our our membership didn't suffer as bad as I expected. I was expecting a complete downfall on the manufacturing technology industry in general. Um, yeah. But I think, you know, there was still obviously a need, right? So we saw on the consumer side, we saw runouts of toilet paper, runouts on, you know, textile goods, runouts on stuff. And there's a lot of things that, to facilitate that one is just hoarding and bad consumer uh, demand, bad consumer yeah. buying habits. But on the you know industry side, the industry stuff kept kept moving along. There's still a need to keep the right. underlying economics, underlying engine of the nation still going, and you know our members su- supporting that uh, still was able to pivot from industry. And I found that real interesting yeah, so, the ability to pivot yeah was spectacular that was spectacular so companies that some of our members that produced stuff for consumer goods they saw that as a problem you know some of the uh you know companies producing straight to um you know like uh engines or like um uh breakers or things like that obviously they had issues but then once they found another sector another industry that was still thriving like medical is still going strong right um yeah packaging obviously was huge um so there's other industries where they were able to kind of i would say pivot towards and sustain their business which i found really really fascinating and i thought that was uh, an amazing uh story for a lot of our members oh sure sure being able to stay afloat yeah and and, and because you were able to pivot to something totally outside of what you're 
current product. And, and what was really cool about that, it was that's not just US based, that's right. world based. Yeah. yeah. You know, Lamborghini saw that, oh, you know, a pandemic's probably going to bring an, ec- uh, an economic downturn. There'll mm-hmm. probably be less like luxury hypercars being sold. So, uh, uh, what can we do? And then Lamborghini's making masks yeah. and ventilators. <laughs> right. Um, you know, there are a bunch of companies that the three things that you can make PPE, mm-hmm. ventilators, and uh, test swabs. And there were so many companies that switched over to making that stuff. Yeah. Yep. And we it saw it was really impressive. We saw a lot of uh, groups like America Makes try to put it or put together infrastructure for connecting uh, companies that can grow and produce. Uh, PPE equipment and uh, test equipment to hospitals that were in need of this equipment. So it was a very fascinating time that people that were able to adapt and understand the market and look to adjacent markets were able to do pretty well. So congratulations, guys. You guys made it. <laughs> yes. Uh, there's something that I wrote down that you wanted to touch on was the fire uh, growth in firearm industry. Oh, yeah, because, we you know, we're talking about economic impact. You know, I was able to talk on, you know, the pivoting and how impressive it was for you know, companies that made one thing to, you know, totally change their production lines to making PPE ventilators and uh, uh, testing kits. But, uh, the, you know, one of my favorite parts of um, the IMTS network, uh, the network week that we did in lieu of IMTS since IMTS had been canceled, um, which of course, you know, had road tripping with Steve and outside the shop, which were really fun to shoot without uh, Jules and Adam. And, you know, the, not to plug us and, and hype us up real quick, but you know, Net, IMTS Network Week, I, IMTS Network in general, we got uh, a handful of awards from uh, the NYX Awards this year. Yep. Um, admittedly, I don't know too much about the NYX Awards, but it's I, I, from what I hear, it's a big deal, and I'm really proud of us. Congratulations! Um, yep. But <laughs> thank you. But uh, I think all the credit goes to Jules and Adam. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Um, and, and of course, my camera crew for road tripping with Steve, uh, uh, Tim and uh, Tim LaPont, Tim LaPointe and uh, John Owens. Uh-huh. But um, um, yeah, one of my favorite parts of IMTS Network Week was the three economists, which uh, sat de- was was sitting down with Pat McGibbon, uh, Chris Chidzik, and Chris Downs to talk about current the current economic state for the manufacturing industry amidst the pandemic and during IMTS week. Uh-huh. And one of the first episodes that they had on Monday of uh, the, the network week was talking about the spike in background checks due to the pandemic right. and whatnot. And so in terms of economic impact on manufacturers, such as firearm manufacturers, you know, business is booming for them right now. Right um, Now there's also if there's one industry that experiences panic buys more than any under any other industry, it's the firearm industry. Right. And they've grown accustomed to it over the years because it's like, Oh man, when, when's it going to rain next? Don't know, but there'll probably be a panic buy with it. And because there's such a huge ramp up in the demand of a certain thing in the firearm industry at any given time, but it's just a spike. It usually comes right back down. Naturally that industry doesn't um, uh, compensate for it by ramping up production. They're like, no, 
it'll come down and eventually you know the supply will match the demand again right um you know because they don't want to ramp up production and then all of a sudden the production is finally caught up with the demand but the demand was just a spike and it's back down to where it was and now they're in full production mode while the demand is at nothing now you have a surplus and now you're taking a huge economic hit Um, and that's what kills a lot of companies in uh, uh, the firearms industry uh, during panic buys they know not to compensate for a huge spike Needless to say, this year has been a little bit more than a spike, but like a huge ramp up from new customers on both sides of the political spectrum are are buying things up. Mm -hmm. Um, And it hasn't gone away yet. (laughs) (laughs) Right. It's how many months has this been going on and people are still buying and the industry is still like, we don't know if we want to ramp up production yet. (laughs) Oh, I'm sure some have. Sure. But uh, right. But it's it's crazy, and it's like, where is it going to go? Like, how is this going to – this has been, like, the most unknown uh, 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 future right. for the firearm industry, and I don't know where they're going. The good news is – well, it's who you ask is the good news, but uh, <laughs> um, I don't think – I think they played it smart on their part, and I don't think they're right. going anywhere because demand is good. Right. And I don't think they're going to lose that demand anytime soon. So they may ramp it up, the production up slowly. But right. yeah, yeah the, that's my only uh, economic comment on man, any kind of manufacturing right now. Yeah, the economics around firearms is, is very, very complex because I agree with you that, you know, the price of a product does depend on its availability. Right, yeah. you've got different tiers of firearms and, you know, all the accessories and and, and bullets also. It'll take forever to catch up trying to buy ammunition, but that's a problem that the industry has seen over and over again. Um, it's a problem that they, that they allow it, the the market right. to fix itself, basically to self correct. And I think that's the general approach that they're trying to play is that they will maintain uh, production rates or assess risks on if they do try and scale up. Right? What's the cost of scaling up, and can they maintain the the uh, the uh, the supply and demand? or maintain uh, that price at that new supply rate. Um, so I think they'll allow the market to kind of fix itself unless something else does happen. Because right now we do have the, the U.S. government looking for new um, assault rifles, new ammunition, which could play oh, into, yeah. um, we could phase out existing ammunitions that they're purchasing uh, or change demand for existing firearms. So there's That's a lot. That's wild that, that you bring that up because I love how, you know, the rest of the firearm industry is just like, okay, can we keep up with the demand? And is this demand going to last? Right. And it's proving right. right now that the demand is lasting. Right. So it's driving up the prices because the industry's like, we don't know if we're supposed to ramp up yeah. because, you know, we don't want this demand to just disappear all of a sudden. And now we're overproducing and now right. we're going into surplus and now we're going out of business. Yeah. So, and, 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 and they've been really smart with that regard. Out of a business standpoint, that's really smart. From a consumer standpoint, it's like, no, this is awful. Yeah. I, I want need to more. go do my mag dumps <laughs> yeah. this weekend, you know. And uh, but uh, you know, it's it's funny that the industry is just focused on keeping up right, right now. Right. You know, should we keep up with demand? Should we ramp up to keep up with demand right now, 
or should we just keep doing what we're doing? And the smart thing is keep doing what you're doing. Meanwhile, here comes the whole U.S. military. And it's like, <laughs> uh, yeah, we need some research and development done. We want a new, <laughs> we want new weapons. Yeah. We want a new caliber. We want new weapons. We want all the new technology. And these guys, the rest of the industry is just like, we're just trying to keep up right now. <laughs> We don't want to do anything new. One thing I get do, out of here with that. One thing I do think the firearm industry does well in general is that they prioritize the markets. So they understand, hey, there's a police force that needs needs weapons. I've never heard of um, you know police force not being able to get weapons or uh, not keeping up with the demand of the military, the existing demand of the military. You know, it's always the consumer that ends up uh, being adjusted in the market, which is, from my perspective, that's fine. Um, yeah. And I do think that I, I agree. Uh, you know, back to the earlier problems that we faced and the supply chain in general is prioritizing markets or having control over the supply um, was something that I observed. Uh, but we'll get into that later. And uh, you know, I do want to bring up the you know, you know, since the pandemic, AMT did get more interested in understanding supply chain and kind of the ecosystem oh, that's yeah. related to it. So we did a, a series of research papers. We still have a couple of more that's being released. Um, and we'll place a, a link uh, for you guys to check out if you guys are interested in seeing the research that we've done. But it's very eye-opening to see the uh, importance of uh, supply chain and the technologies related to supply chain and how far those technologies have progressed or have not progressed in some cases uh, yeah. versus, you know, just... You know, we talk about manufacturing, right? Manufacturing is obviously a big part of supply chain, but understanding how purchase orders exist, how to get uh, requests for proposals, and the whole ecosystem of managing suppliers is outrageously complex. And I don't think we give our supply chain the benefit of doubt on that. No. Or enough credit. Or enough credit. <laughs> All right, Steve, let's talk about technologies, man. We've talked a lot about, uh, you know, recapping. A lot of things. Thing. A lot of things. So let's talk yeah. about technology. I've got a couple of categories. I, you know, I think just highlighting some of the trends that we've seen for this year, uh, it will be a super use of, uh, uh, super valuable to our, our listeners. So the first thing I want to talk about is the digital twin. Digital yes. twins have been around for a while. Let's 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 not get too carried away, right? So the idea of right simulating something physical in the digital world uh, is the core of it. A digital twin, right? We uh, we we have a digital representation of a, of a thing. Yeah. What, what do we see now is the development and the further enhancement of this definition into something where companies can start realizing the benefit. Um, we've seen a couple of presentations this year and last year on kind of the benefits of the digital twin. And I've broken down into three categories where um, we can talk about the digital twin. One is simulations. The other is as manufactured. And the last is as used. So we're seeing um, cases where on the front end where people are simulating what's going to happen. And that simulation doesn't exist on based on purely first principle physics. They're taking real world information. So the uh, one of the early the examples I, I've seen most recently is um, Oak Ridge is doing uh, a moonshot idea of uh, being able to print a machine tool base out of concrete. So instead of having yeah. a, a fully cast uh, metal machine base, uh, they're casting it out of concrete, which is great. So they have their initial design, initial concepts. Uh, they actually made the part. And now they've what they've done is they did some vibration testing to get some dampening factors. Dampening factors are really, really hard to predict. 
Um, so what they did is they physically tested it. They're pulling the data and they're running that dampening values back in their simulations. So that's where I see the first kind of use case of the digital twin is taking real world data and uh, augmenting first principle physics to get a better, more accurate simulation uh, of their their design. Dude, it's, it's wild um, to expand on digital twin a little bit and take it outside of our manufacturing industry a little bit. Mm -hmm. I think digital twins also spilling into medical even. Sure. Um, you know, I've, I've talked about going to my dentist before. I love my, my dentist, Dr. <laughs> Andrew Hinkle and, uh, and my hygienist, Denise, mm -hmm. Andrew and Denise are the best. I, I love visiting them. It sounds weird and it, it is weird. You know, I, I see my dentist twice a year, yeah. like, which is normal, but I actually enjoy going to see them. And, and one <laughs> of the reasons is not only are they great and, and masters at what they do um, and making sure that my mouth stays healthy, uh, <laughs> but uh, they every time I go there, it seems they're flexing a new technology. Right. And I actually went to the dentist last week mm -hmm. and Denise shows me uh, this new scanner that they've got. And I'm cool. like, and she's like, she's like, we're, we're kind of using this for like Invisalign, which is that those, those plastic like retainers that sure. some people use, but just, just humor me. Let me use this on you. <laughs> and I'm like, what, like, tell me more about this, this machine she's got. And she uses this, this probe to scan my mouth. Right. And all of a sudden I am seeing a perfect, perfect dude, 3d model of my teeth and gums. Mm on this screen cool. and you can manipulate it and yep. turn it around and you can uh, uh it also has like my bite mm -hmm. so you can see how the teeth match up together cool. and it, it also has all of like the, it, it's a perfect representation like it seriously looks like my mouth on the screen <laughs> disgusting and but what's cool about that is like she denise is telling me yeah we're gonna do this scan like we're we did the scan before um, my cleaning and polishing. Mm -hmm. And then we did the scan again after because the machine not only, you know, can show you the before and after, mm -hmm. but the before and after things that you and I would miss just on our human vision alone, right. you know, the, because it's a computer, it can actually show you what has changed. That's cool. And being the human that the humans that we are, we can see like, you know, okay, these weren't actual changes. These are just, you know, uh, glitches and, and, and um, impurities in the way the scan was taken, but the machine actually, the computer actually picks up on some of the actual changes uh -huh. between, you know, uh, you know, pre and post uh, uh, cleaning and visit. Um, but like, what's really cool is they're going to do that again in six months to see if my teeth have shifted at all mm, from, cool. uh, you know, they think they've it, in college, uh, I was on a, an ADD medication that mm -hmm. would cause me to grind a whole lot, which sure. had me on, uh, they gave me a retainer to prevent that. I would mm -hmm. put it in, uh, when I sleep, I'm not on it anymore because I'm not on that medication anymore. So I don't need the retainer. And they've told me that, uh, they haven't seen a change in a shift in my teeth since being out of college and being off of this medication. So they, their assumption was, Oh, you don't need to be on the retainer anymore. Right. And now they're using an actual 
digital twin. <laughs> By doing the scan, yeah. they'll have a digital twin of my mouth right. and they'll have a, a computer actually verify what's changing. Right. So not only do they have an incredibly educated opinion of what's going on, they're doctors after all, mm -hmm. but now they'll have a computer and digital twin technology yep. backing up. Yeah, something changed or no, something didn't change. Nothing changed. Yeah. So you're good. Keep doing what you're doing. Yep. And it it's wild how <laughs> I've seen I've seen a little bit more digital twin in person <laughs> on the medical side than I have in the manufacturing industry. <laughs> but I think it's just because the manufacturing industry, it's a little bit harder for somebody like me to wrap around the power. Uh, wrap my head around the power of digital twin in manufacturing. It is a little it, bit easier to see at the dentist. They yeah. make it easy. And people go straight to kind of the simulation and predicting on the digital twin side, right? They on a, they have a model. They'll say, what will my machine do in the future? But in the, I, uh, there's a, uh, ISO, um, uh, a group that star started on the digital twin and they presented an interesting case where, you know, if you have variations in your manufacturing line, you're able to, take the as measured or as manufactured part and kind of vary your process going forward. So if I remember correctly, you know, they had one process where some holes might be produced in a certain bracket and some holes may not be produced in that process. Uh, but as they go through the certain phases and the, if they either use their metrology or documentation to say, measure the part, do these holes exist? And then that gets back into the digital model to further refine the either manufacturing step or the uh, G code later. Uh, based on the holes that don't need to be drilled or the holes that need to be drilled for further processing. So I feel that, you know, the as manufactured is, and you're talking about also the as use case, right? So as you put it into a engine or, um, you know, a final assembly and you're getting data off that uh, final assembly, you get to see how it's performing and your, your teeth are a perfect example of that, right? So you've got, <laughs> yeah. as you continually monitoring, you can kind of uh, drive to see how things are performing. Uh, so I thought the digital twin has, you know, a lot of use cases and the simulation side of it will always exist. Uh, we're seeing significant growth in the as manufacturer and the as use case as uh, people are using that more. Uh, the, la the next one I want to get into is growth in additive. Uh, we're seeing a lot of use cases, you know, straight to consumers, straight into OEMs. You know, people are, or more companies are embracing additive as a production solution, which is great um uh, but also um i think oak ridge national labs has a really good take on how to use uh, additive in manufacturing they're they're very happy to see it in the production world uh, but also mm -hmm. we're uh, it's super useful in tools and dyes right so um one thing that they're seeing is the progression of materials being strong enough and robust enough that as a short-term replacement or as a calculated risk to use uh, additive as a means to make a dye, uh, form your parts, uh, you know, you could use it for injection dyes or uh, uh, stamp forming, whatever. Um, use that as kind of a, a uh, intermediate gap to uh, produce your long-term dyes. Or if the long-term dyes gets damaged or it's down for replacement, you know, you print your short-term dyes to get you by for a bit. Um, and also for large tooling. So we've seen a couple of use cases where uh, companies are producing boats. Instead of using yeah. like a wooden jig, they're actually just printing uh, a form, a large form that can be joined together. So I found that 
the use cases for additive has grown significantly. Uh, we're seeing you know hypercars uh, doing 3D printing on much more than just small components. They're doing full critical use cases. Um, you know, last episode we talked about uh, NASA doing uh, critical components for their uh, jet en- for their uh, rocket engines. Um, so, man, I'm super excited to see. Uh, yeah, and, and you're seeing additive. additive super commonplace as a means to, and they've always been here. Additive has always been like the the perfect thing to use for mockups, yeah, uh, and prototyping, but it's available to everybody and everybody does prototypes off yep. of additive now. Yeah. Nobody prototypes using a, a CNC machine anymore, <laughs> except for like maybe like an early production version. Sure. But like when it comes to like raw prototyping, like I've got an idea, I need to move it from napkin to something actual physical, yeah. like a near net shape. Yep. Additive is a way to go. Right. Don't carve it out of wood or do clay <laughs> modeling. Unless it's a car, um, and certainly don't go straight to the CNC machine when it's going to cost you a whole buttload in uh, the material costs alone. But right. uh, you know the time of downtime with a machine, um, and all that, and, and the, oh, the, the setup time and whatnot. Additive is there for you. Additive's yeah. got you. Yep. But um, and then we're seeing like last week uh, or two weeks ago. No, last week, the development in additive with. Um, yeah, the surface finish is getting there. Mm, One of the biggest right. weaknesses with additive forever now has been its surface finish. Right. You can't get like you, you can't you can't get that smooth finish. But well, now you can. Right. The way they're uh, treating some things. So. Yep. It's the rapid evolution of additive is is insane, and we kind of saw this a little bit like, you know. Before additive, it was five-axis CNC machining. Sure, um, and and that's become commonplace. Five-axis yeah, right. is where it's at, and then yep. until additive showed up and <laughs> crashed the party. But like, you know, five we, additive was a mess in the beginning. It was like, yeah, you know what? I I would always joke about like my favorite thing about or about like 3d printers being broken mm-hmm. and whatnot or nobody can figure out how to use them but they're actually really easy to figure out how to use and they're less broken now <laughs> um sure. but you talk you joke about the i joke about the brokenness and i you know when i talk to uh some people who've been in the industry for a while especially in sales like um uh our good friend uh, john mayer mm-hmm. out of jones kinden um I'll, I'll sit down like when we would have events in the past uh with it was mfg or whatever you know late night you know light up some cigars and sit around uh the balcony looking over like you know whatever resorts golf green was in front of us they'd be talking about like some of the old timing machines like you know the um uh the monarch ultra center right what a right. Uh, what an absolute pile that thing was <laughs> And, you know, that was like early multi-axis machining. Right. Um, and, you know, five-axis, we see as five-axis as being like this stupid, accurate, really reliable, you know, production, perfect production technology. Right. But it started broken, too. <laughs> sure. You know, it started sure. a broken mess at the beginning as well. And, and it became the standard like the go-to manufacturing technology if you wanted to make something of quality and additive is going to be there next it's not there yet but it's close and it's definitely going to be there and the cool thing about 
additive is the possibilities with it. And additive will continue to blow our minds. Yeah. Even after it's at like the apex of its form, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's only going to get better. The only thing that makes me a little nervous about additive is the metrology, the quality and metrology side, keeping up with the pace of additive. I'm a yeah. little nervous about, you know, subsurface That's... inspection, uh, unique forms. How do you do dimensional checks? Um, you know, it's just, yeah. just, uh, I'm just a little nervous that additive is, is huge. There's a lot of adjacent technologies and I'm a little worried Absolutely. that they won't keep pace. But right. We'll see. You, and you got to keep in mind that we're, we're going to see, because this the increasing um, development and, and power of additive, we are going to see other weaknesses right. come out. Um, because as we use it and as it's applied to more and more different things, um, you're going to see more and more weaknesses like yeah. in, in what else needs to be developed. But that's just the natural cycle of anything. Um you know, you look at uh, I, I, on YouTube. I'll watch uh, um, Brandon Herrera, the AK guy, every now and then. And you know, he he build this guy builds AK platform rifles, uh-huh. and um, he'll talk about like uh, trunnions, like the front trunnion where the gas block and the gas tube meets the bore and chamber of the barrel. And that trunnion on an AK needs to be incredibly strong. And the way the Russians do it. Um, is it's made out of a mill that's a milled block mm-hmm. of forged billet material um and, and that's incredibly strong uh it's not only forged and it but it's also it, it's not only milled but it's also forged so right and, and the the weakness with a lot of american made ak's that don't have the the russian machine uh power of like you know a russian weapons plant <laughs> and are just making some uh, an ak variant out of like somebody's garage is they have to use something like a cast trunnion. And the scary thing with that is we're seeing that with additive, the molecular compound with metal additive is closer to that of, you know, casting something. It's not to the, the, uh, the integrity quality of, uh, you know, a forged piece of metal or a, a a milled billet piece of metal. So, that's yeah. going to be like the next weakness that people are, you know, the, the surface finish is being taken care of. The next thing right. is what you're saying, this, the subsurface quality right. of the material. All right, Steve, there's a lot of uh, actually other topics I want to get into, but I think we're running low on time. So what I'll do is uh, okay. we'll kick off the next episode in 2021 talking about uh, automation trends because this covers both metrology, automation by itself, but also we're gonna, uh, we've discussed including metrology as part of the automation group. And a little bit of yeah. subtractive manufacturing. Definitely see that can be kind of all together because that's a kind of a trend we've seen uh, this past year. So we'll kick the 2021 uh, talking about uh, trends in automation, if that's all right with you. Yeah, that's fine with me. We're going to have a serious end of year, a two-part end of year special <laughs> and holiday Christmas special. Absolutely. Uh, see, where can they find more info about us? You can find more information about us on uh amtnews.org and if you want to uh keep up with us on a regular basis with spending as little effort as possible go to mt or am go to amtnews.org slash subscribe and we will keep you up for you thanks Steve. happy holidays everyone merry christmas happy holidays